reading of God's word. By the way, I think Chris announced we have another scripture memory, 12 verses consecutively memorizing, getting on Zoom on a Friday night with myself and others. I've already started Ephesians chapter 2. There is nothing really like memorizing scripture. The Bible says that we are to let the word of God dwell richly in us. You want to do that? You memorize scripture. And you want to keep your mind uh, in a place of, of purity and strength. The first Peter says that gird up the loins of your mind, meaning strengthen your mind and focus your mind on the Lord. You will do that. So join us doing that. Each time we get a few more people memorizing, you're thinking 12 verses, that's crazy. Uh, do it one time and then you'll start realizing, wait, I can do this. I can do this. So uh, consider doing that, please. So we are in Philippians chapter 1, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the book of Philippians as we do here at Calvary Chapel. We go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the Bible on Tuesday night. About a mile away from and now, we are a mile away from here. We're going through the book of Nehemiah on Tuesday nights. But today, this morning, Philippians, verse 8, says this. This is the Apostle Paul speaking by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed. That's in, I believe, 1 Timothy, maybe 2 Timothy. But all scripture is God-breathed, including verse 8 through 11, which begin and in verse 8, for God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that I would not be a hindrance, Lord, of what you want to do in this room this morning, Lord. Please, Lord, I pray, Father, speak, speak to us. We need it. I need it, Lord. Please speak to me. Speak to us, Lord. Minister to us. We are a people who are fragile, but strengthened by your word and by your spirit. And so, Father, we pray that, Lord, we are a people. You say in your word that, um, that it says the Lord rejoices with his people. We, we pray that you would uh, do that work in us that would cause you to rejoice. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So verse 8 of Philippians chapter 1 says, He's speaking to the Philippians, this church in Philippi. If you have not been with us, may want to get last week's introductory message. But verse 8 says again, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of of Jesus Christ. So, this is the SLC translation. Anyone know who, what translation that is? Stephen Lawrence Cole, <laughs> SLC. So, for God is my witness how greatly I long for you all as Jesus Christ longed for you. Now, it, it, that is my translation, but it is, is really what the verse means. As you could, I could have put those in my notes or I can put them up here. Um, so, for, so what he's saying here is, for God is my witness how greatly I long for you all as Jesus Christ longs 
for you. So have you ever been apart from someone and you miss them so much you long for them and, and, and so much it hurts? Well, well, that is what is going on here as we discussed last week. Uh, I know many of you know what it's like, but the Bible says in this verse says that Jesus Christ longs for you in the same way. You may not know God like that. He may be this whatever, God up at the, you know, in the heights or whatever. You go into a cathedral, he's up in the rafters, whatever. But the Bible says God longs for you to the point of being hurt. And we got into the, a little study of that word affection in verse eight. It, it's speaking of a hurt, a physical hurt. The book of James chapter four, verse five says, God longs, he longs, he yearns jealously for you. That's what the Bible says. Whether or not you feel it, it's not you, it's not you feeling, it's him feeling. It says he yearns jealously for you. The Bible says that man and woman were created to be in a perfect relationship with God. To love him with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. You were created to love God. But in the beginning... Man and woman, loving God that way, nevertheless chose to reject him. They turned love on its head. Uh, They did that by rejecting God's authority over their lives. Genesis chapter 3, Eve was tempted, tempted by uh, the enemy, the devil. Uh, It says, you eat this fruit and you will be like God, meaning you can be your own authority, your own boss, your own God. And so here's the verse here. It says, the serpent which we know from the book of Revelation was the devil himself, said to the woman, you will not surely die if you eat this fruit, for God knows that in the day of you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. And she really liked that idea. And so do we. We, we, we like calling our own shots. And we don't call it being God, but that's what it is. And so she, she, she ate the fruit, so did Adam. They chose love of self rather than love of God. And that embracing the love of self um, had a devastating effect on their souls, as it has in every soul since then. And that includes you. It includes me. The Bible says that all of us have rejected God. We came out of our mother's womb that way. And that sin corrupted, twisted, distorted the way we look at God, the way we look at each other, the way we look at everything in creation, our desires corrupted, distorted, twisted. Our relationship with God broken because of sin. But the Bible says God yearns, he longs jealously for your soul. So how does God respond to all of this? He's just, the Bible, there's an actual verse in the Bible that says God is judge. He, he is the judge of all judges. How's he supposed to react to a people who have rejected him. He's God, he's the God of the universe. And we, whatever, a piece of sand in the Sahara Desert, less than that, decided, no, I want to be my own God, and we reject him. How does a God who is just react to that? God can't just let the guilty go unpunished. Exodus 34, verse seven, I believe, he does not let the guilty go unpunished. He's God, he can't do that. If he's not just, he's not God. The Bible says God is justice. It says God is love. God is faithful. It says God is just. He must punish sin. He, if man rejects God in favor of himself, God must punish that. And it should be a shock to no one that that punishment is death and eternal separation from God. The Bible calls it hell. So what is God's response? The God who longs for you. He loves you so much he longs for you. 
He longed for a return of a relationship with, with man, with you. Um, and, and it says he yearns for that jealously. What does he do? What does he do? He sends his only son who is slaughtered on the cross. Slaughtered on the cross. The lamb of God slaughtered on the cross to purchase you back. That's how much God loves you. That's how much he longs for you. He did that to draw near. So again, back in, um, in chapter, uh, Philippians chapter one, verse eight, it says, for, for God is, is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Because of that longing for you, God sent his son. It says, Paul hears longing as God longs. And then it says in verse nine, and this I pray. It says, this I pray. So that, that is the, uh, the, the greatest response of love. It's prayer. If you love someone, you will be praying for them. Continuing on, uh, continue on in verse nine, this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. That your love would abound more and more in knowledge, in all discernment. We're going to spend the rest of this morning on that verse. The rest of this morning on that verse. Anytime, first of all, anytime, let me begin with this. Anytime you see a prayer in the Bible, and this is a prayer. He says, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. Anytime you um, see a prayer, study it. Study it. Take notes. Write it down and then pray it for you and others that you love. Here's a prayer in, in the Bible. But what does it mean? What does this mean? It says, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Let's have another SLC. It says, it's, 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 this is what it's saying. It says, in this I pray that your love may grow more and more in knowledge and wisdom and truth and discernment. That your love would grow that way. So what we learn here, listen here carefully, Please, there is such a thing as loving with wisdom and there's such a thing as loving foolishly, without wisdom. Loving like a fool. I've loved like a fool 10,000 times. Th this prayer saying, no, no, I pray that you don't love as a fool, but you love as uh, with, with truth and as wise. That's what it's talking about here. It's what, and, 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 and he's praying this for them. So, so um, loving someone with wisdom, you will build that person up, the one that you love. But the second kind of love, loving foolishly, you'll hurt them. You'll break them down, the one you love. Let me give you a couple examples of loving without wisdom, loving without knowledge, without truth, loving foolishly. Your friend is a drug addict. You know she's a drug addict. She's regularly begs you for money with tears. And each time you give her money, that is loving without knowledge or discernment that's loving foolishly. Your love is hurting her. Your son goes to jail. This has happened a number of times over the years here at our, here at our fellowship. And as soon as you find out he's in jail, you bail him out. Soon after, right after he gets out, he goes to jail again. Immediately, you bail him out. He goes again, 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 again. Each time you bail him out immediately. That's loving without knowledge or discernment. You're hurting him. You're hurting the one you love. 
your nephew, wants to take his date to the prom, but he doesn't want to have to take her on the tee. He doesn't want to take the 29 to the prom. He doesn't want to do that. So he pleads with you, can I borrow your car? Please, your, 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 your car, I, I, I please, please. There's one problem, he doesn't have a license. But man, he's crying. And he's your favorite nephew. You give him your keys. That is loving without knowledge or discernment. You could be really hurting him. And it's prom date. So everyone following me? Yeah, yeah, or uh, uh. Everyone following me? Okay, so is everyone ready? Because up to now I've kept it light. Okay, we're about to go really heavy. Are, are you ready? ready? I'm not kidding. So here I go. How about love without discernment when it comes to loving the LGBT community? You're like, oh, why? Who wasn't kidding? What might be an example of that? You know, there, this is where we're going to be the rest of the time today. There can hardly be a more important thing for a guy like me to be speaking about from a place like this than this. Loving without discernment when it comes to loving the LGBT community. The church has been terribly lied to, terribly in this area. Where the issue has just been terribly ignored, which by the way is a way of loving with, pastors loving without knowledge. So I'm gonna give two examples of loving the LGBT community without knowledge, without discernment, and without truth. Example number one. I'm going to put this slide on the projection screen. Can you guys see this? Can everyone see this? Some of you guys, are, some of you folks are way back. You have someone wearing a gay pride flag on the ground. There's blood on the bottom coming from them. And there's some uh, preacher guys up there with their Bible. So preaching, I, I give this as an illustration, preaching the truth of the Bible in such a way that rather than representing God's heart for the LGBT community, which is that he longs for them. He longs for them. If you're here this morning in that space, he longs for you. Is loving without discernment, without knowledge. Jesus Christ was slaughtered for that person who's wrapped themselves in the gay pride flag. So I, I lost count of how many preachers made jokes. I've heard the joke. It's Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve. And, and you know, I, 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 the first few times I heard it, I laughed. I'd ask God for forgiveness. We learned on Tuesday night in our study of the book of Nehemiah that people mock, and that's mocking, right? When you say it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. You are mocking a man or woman made in God's image. I speak that to my own heart. We learned on Tuesday night that anger and hatred are directly connected to mocking. People mock because they hate. Just read Nehemiah 4, it's so obvious. Better yet, come on Tuesday night. So anyone know Megan Rapinoe? Am I, am I pronouncing that correctly? Rapino. Rapino. thank you. 
Megan Rapino. You may not know Megan Rapino, but you know Megan Rapino. She's the outgoing captain of the United States uh, women's national soccer team. And she's been a longtime champion of lesbian rights. Recently, she missed a penalty kick in the Women's World Cup, and as a result, the women's team got knocked out of the World Cup. And you know, more than one Christian I knew, they were just giddy. They were delighted she missed that shot. And you know, there were a lot of Christians hoping that the women's World Cup team would lose because she's like a symbol of gay rights. And I was one of them. I was hoping they'd lose. And that's loving without knowledge or discernment, which does what? It hurts the recipient of that love. Luke chapter six, verse 27 says, love your enemies, meaning the enemies, in this case, the enemies of that which you hold dear. Do good to those who hate you or hate that which you represent. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Psalm 25 verse 11 says this, and I speak this as a confession because I'm a sinner in this area. For your name's sake, forgive my sin, Lord, though it is great. Loving without discernment, without truth. It hurts the recipient of the love. It hurts them. So that's example number one. And I'm guilty. Here's example number two. of loving without discernment when it comes to loving the LGBT community. I'm going to use a hypothetical. I do not know if this applies to anyone in this room. So I, if it applies to you, it's not because I know what's going on. So I'm going to use a hypothetical, and um, here it is. Biologically, you're a woman. You are convinced that you're a man. In fact, as long as you remember, you have been convinced you are a man or a male. You've never had any romantic or sexual interest in men, only for other women. You have a girlfriend that you are deeply in love with, madly in love with. You have been faithful to this girlfriend for many years, and you are incredibly happy when you are around this girlfriend. However, you have suicidal thoughts. And you've been told that if you have a gender reassignment surgery, it will reduce the likelihood of suicide. You have been asking me, your pastor, to affirm your relationship with your girlfriend, and you have been asking me to affirm your decision to have gender reassignment surgery. Now, if I affirm your relationship with your girlfriend, that would be loving you without knowledge. Without discernment, my love would be hurting you. If I affirmed your gender reassignment surgery, your decision to have that, I would be loving you without knowledge, without discernment, my love would be hurting you. Why? Because the Bible teaches that these decisions will lead to death. Proverbs 14.12 says, there is a way that seems, there's a way that feels right to man, feels right, but in the end, it is the way of death. And by the way, that's repeated in Proverbs 16.25 
So let's continue. By the way, I talked to an Ivy League trained psychiatrist yesterday who shared with me that there have been 23 studies as to whether gender reassignment surgery reduces the risk of suicide, but to date, it remains inconclusive as to whether it actually has that effect. So United States, 2023, if it feels right, if it feels right, but it is the way of death because it's not the truth. Meaning, be careful between, between uh, 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 just assuming that what feels uh, right is truth. If it's not truth, it'll kill you, the Bible says. Proverbs 28, 26, one of the easiest verses in the Bible to memorize. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. That's what you call clarity in the Bible. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So a few of the guys and I are reading a book and um, we, got, we read this quote from Diedrich Bonhoeffer. This guy's like a giant in philosophy and Christian theologian. He, he stood up against Adolf Hitler and the Nazis and was executed a day before, executed in the concentration camp a day before the concentration camp was, um, was overtaken by the Allied forces. Human love has little regard for truth. Oh man, is this important. Please, Calvary Chapel, please. This is Diedrich Bonhoeffer at his best. Human love has little regard for the truth. It makes the truth relative, meaning the truth changes depending upon what situation you're in. It makes the truth relative since nothing, not even the truth, must come between it and the beloved person. Meaning, love has a way of just swallowing up the truth. Love is an end in of itself. But then he says this about spiritual love. Spiritual love is wholly dependent. That means 100% dependent upon the truth of Christ. Spiritual love is wholly dependent upon the truth in Christ. Which begs the question, so now, what is the truth of Christ in this matter. Same-sex relationships, gender reassignment surgery. It actually is really simple. First verse, Genesis chapter one, first chapter of the Bible. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, He created him. There's a whole, as most of you are aware, unless you've been living in a cave, there's a whole movement now in the LGBT space that doesn't believe in any distinction between male and female. So this whole it, they thing. But what does the truth say? First chapter of the Bible, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. No such thing as a person without gender. So you don't assign your gender based upon what you feel your gender should be. God assigns your gender, male or female. And to tamper, listen Calvary Chapel, to tamper with God's assignment of your gender is to tamper with the very image of God. For me to affirm your decision to have gender reassignment surgery would not be loving to you. 
It's the way of death, the Bible says. It would not be loving to you. It, 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 it's contrary to the tu uh, truth of the Bible. It would be loving you foolishly. It would be hurting you. A lot. But it's actually even more profound than this verse, if such a thing is possible. The next chapter, Genesis chapter 2, says this, verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, which, by the way, is not what the Hebrew word is, joined to his woman. I guess, you know, they thought it was offensive or something. It doesn't say wife. So you can't say, my wife, I'm, I'm a man, my wife's a man. No, you can't say that and be and honor this verse. The Spanish gets it right, by the way. Por tanto, el hombre dejará a su padre y a su madre y se unirá a su mujer. It doesn't say esposa. That's, that, that's what the translators uh, were correct in Spanish on that one. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, a woman, and they shall become one flesh. Paul, in Ephesians, in the New Testament, quotes this verse. He says in Ephesians 5, 31 through 32, which if you have, if you want to study and do a deep dive of this whole issue of male, female, what's the truth about it? Are same-sex mar marriages valid? Are gender reassignment uh, uh, surgeries valid? When it comes to the truth of God, just chew on, memorize for scripture memory day, the latter part of Ephesians chapter five. He quotes Genesis two. He says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now here's the key. This is so important. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So, I'll tell you in advance, that just blows out of water any kind of suggestion that a same-sex marriage could be biblically valid or a gender reassignment surgery. He says, I tell you a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church, meaning the reason um, God made you a man or the reason God made you a woman is to live out, to glorify this great mystery, which by the way, in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, says can be done by a single person in their life. But, 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 but you were given your, your gender, assigned by it, by God, to glorify his name as this great mystery, this great picture of Christ loving the church is acted out. So what is a man, what is a woman? I say with all seriousness. I'm not saying this to try to get anyone to laugh or smirk, but at a congressional hearing before Congress, I think the, it was either the president of Planned Parenthood or... or or an, uh, it was a, an organization like that with similar goals which being, was asked a question by Dan Bishop, the, the congressman from uh, North Carolina. He said, so because the whole gender issue came up, he said, well, what is a woman? And she repeatedly could not answer the question. She didn't know how to answer it. And then he turns to another woman who is an executive director um, in... In, um, in Dallas of a, of, a, of a similar organization. She said, what is, what is a woman? She couldn't answer either. And he said, well, can a man get, get pregnant and have an abortion? And she said, yes. This is before Congress. But the Bible has very, very and, and, and before you even think that's funny, can you answer the question what a man is? Can you answer the question, what a woman is? I tell you, as I was studying, I'm like, 
um, hmm, if I was, <laughs> I had to study. And, 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 and my study took me, by the way, um, um, to these verses. What is a man? What is a woman? It, 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 they coming together and being joined together and becoming one flesh are a picture, a type to all the world becoming one with you. 80 times, remember we learned this last week. Actually, it's 85. Paul, the Apostle Paul, uses the term in Christ in the New Testament to describe your relationship with Jesus Christ. 85 times he uses the term in Christ. You are united with Jesus Christ when he knocks on the door of your heart and he says, can I come in? And you, says, you say, yes, Lord, come in. I give you everything. At that point, from that point through all eternity, you are united with Christ. And, and, and it says, the Bible says that a man and a woman were designed in such a way in God's image to mirror that union that you have with Jesus Christ. Now, that's an important calling that every man and woman has just by being assigned a gender by the Lord. You guys with me? It's not easy stuff. So a man marrying a woman, rather... A man marrying a man violates God's purpose for creating man. A woman marrying a woman violates God's purpose for creating woman. For me to af affirm your same-sex relationship would not be loving you with knowledge, with the truth of the Bible, with wisdom. It would be loving you foolishly. It would be hurting you. I want to close with this. I was reading today in Jeremiah 23 about the false prophets prophesying and speaking to people lies. And it says their prophecy, what they shared with people, it says, this is the Bible speaking, made their listeners worthless. Meaning as human beings, they, they lost their value because they embraced and believed what their pastors were speaking to them. It is an inconceivably serious sin for a pastor not to be speaking about this subject in the year 2023 because it's a subject that everyone else is talking about outside the church. Do we not talk about truth inside the church? But for a pastor not to address this issue, ultimately, listen, it is an issue regarding eternity. So we'll close with these verses. Romans chapter one, they're not easy verses either. This is not an easy sermon to give. Romans chapter one, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness who suppress the truth in righteousness. Now, that is not an easy verse to understand. So here's another SLC. This is just, you just think of it as reading my notes. This is what that verse means. The wrath, meaning the anger and judgment of, of God, awaits all those who bury the truth so that they can continue to sin. So this is a serious issue if, we're, if, if, if the number of boys and girls, men and women who are choosing same-sex relationships is multiplying, the Bible teaches, this verse teaches in Romans 1.18, that's really serious because what we do in order to justify the sin that we love is we reject the truth. 
People reject the Bible because they don't want to be accountable to God. And so the wrath, and Romans 1.18, what it's really saying is the wrath, the judgment of God awaits all those who bury the truth so that they can continue to sin. Now, later on in the book of Romans, chapter one, the very same chapter, it actually lists the sins. Can we put that up, Dave, again? It actually lists these sins which is so they can continue to sin. It has a list of what those sins are. And I'm going to read them right now. I'm going to read some of them right now. It, it lists the sins out that men, because they, love the, because they love the sin so much, they reject that Jesus Christ came to die for their sins and that they must give their life to him as the Lord and Savior. It lists the sins. The first one is fornication. Sex outside of marriage. Man and a man, woman and a woman, man and a woman, doesn't matter. The Bible says, Romans chapter one says, because we love that sin so much, we will say, now the Bible Jesus Christ, me needing to give myself to him as Lord, yeah. It lists that. But it also says this. This is verse 24 of Romans chapter one. It says, God gave them over to uncleanness in the lust of their heart to dishonor their body among themselves, verse 26, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature, and likewise the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful. So for me, to affirm your same-sex relationship would not be loving you with knowledge, with wisdom, with the truth of the Bible. It would be loving you foolishly. It would be hurting you for all eternity because Romans chapter one would say that wrath of God would be awaiting you because you chose unbelief in order to continue in your sin. And so, let me conclude with this. So what on earth do I do with all these feelings I have? They're part of me. I was born with them. They're natural. What do I do with that? It's a great question, an important question, and not a question to be ignored. But the Bible says you do the same thing that all of us do with natural feelings that try to ruin and destroy what God has created you to be. Married men may have feelings, natural feelings, to have sex with a woman other than their wives, and these feelings may be persistent day after day, year after year, for years. Godly men, I'm talking about. Godly women who are married may have feelings, natural feelings, to have sex with a man other than their husband, and these feelings may be persistent over years. I'm talking now godly women. And by the way, who's my example? The Apostle Paul. Is anyone more godly than him? This is what the Apostle Paul said. Galatians 5.17, the lust, the flesh rather, lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So what do you do when the flesh is lusting against your spirit? What do you do, married man, when you, 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 you have this desire, a natural desire, to have sex with a woman who is not your wife, and you've had the same desire each day for the last 30 days. You cry out to God, God, help me, help me, Lord. Or, are you or do you have too much pride to get on your knees and on your face and cry out? Well, then, then it'll defeat you over time. But that's what a godly man does. 
God promises to help his people. He promises that. Only you can't stop crying out. I loved that testimony of Peter Majid. His wife died with four kids suddenly out of nowhere six months ago. He was here. And, and, and what did he say? He said, every time the pain came on about his wife, um, uh, wife being, not being there anymore, what did he do? He cried out to the Lord. And he committed to cry out to God. Now we've had Cy Rogers here, blessed man of God, came from a homosexual, um, uh, came from uh, acting out a homosexual life um, to going uh, to the Lord, has a wonderful testimony. And, and it, this was his testimony. He's been here twice. And it was, he had to cry out to God relentlessly for really two or three years. And by the way, it doesn't mean the feelings will ever go away in this lifetime. The Bible says that when you come to Jesus Christ, he immediately gives you his spirit, and the spirit forms a new man, a new woman within you. However, the old man, the old woman, with all its, their, its distorted desires, remains with you. But the Bible promises one day that when Jesus returns, when our adoption is completed, when we are, we're going to get a new body, a new mind, and all that distorted, corrupt, filthy stuff will be gone. That's why it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 27, uh, it says this. Uh, do we have that, Dave? It says, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, and that means you, if you've opened up your heart and given your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says you immediately get the Holy Spirit, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, we eagerly await the adoption, the redemption of our body. Please, Lord, come. I'm done with this body. I'm sorry, it may not come in the next day because he has a work for you to do. He's got a work for you to do. So until that time, Calvary Chapel, listen, there's a thousand promises in the Bible. You live by power, his power, overcoming the flesh. Earlier on in Romans 8, it says this, the love, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We, we live by the power of God. We're given that privilege. But in the meantime, going back to our verse that we have spent most of our time with, Calvary Chapel, I beg you and I certainly pray for you that your love, verse 9 of Philippians 1, would abound more and more and more and more in knowledge and all discernment. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up at this time. The worship team, if you could come up. We're going to close with a worship song. I like to do something a little different today. You know, we have, always have to be on guard of being religious. You can get religious, meaning just check off religious boxes if we just do the same thing every week. I want to do something a little different. I want you to remain seated. But as you know, this time at Calvary Chapel is the time where we, we pray for one another. And the Bible says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And one of the things that's humble is getting up in front of everyone coming up here when there's a call for prayer. So I want to do two things. As the worship team begins to play, you can have the lyrics up on the projection screens, but if you are in category example number one, you know that you know that you know you're guilty. You have not loved men and women in the LGBT community. We haven't. You know that 
Megan Rapino. The Lord really blessed me and work, did a good work in my life. And I, I, I began to see her as she was. She's, she's a woman whose soul is crumbling. And my heart began to reach out to this woman. If that's you, and you would like prayer for that, I just want you to stand up where you are. And if you see someone standing, I want you to go to them, particularly if you're on the ministry team, but you don't have to be on the ministry team. Just go to them. And either share your prayer, say, here's what, you, here, here's what I want to pray for. And I want you to pray for them. Please don't let someone remain standing by themselves. I can only run so many places in here. Or maybe you struggle with same-sex feelings and are currently in a relationship with someone of your same sex and you want someone to, to pray for you. Stand up when the worship team starts and someone will come to you. You can say, you can share your prayer request or you can just say, just pray for me. And lastly, I have two more things there's someone you would like to pray for in that community, either through your own wicked heart towards them or you have a loving heart towards them, you just want to pray for them, their eyes would open, stand up, someone will come and pray for you. And you may be standing near each other, just pray with each other. Lastly, I'm going to be up here. If you have never in your life come to the point where you, again, the Bible says, John for Revelation 3.20 says Jesus is standing at the door of every man, every woman's heart. It says if, if you open that door, Revelation 3.20, he will come in and he'll eat with you. Now that sounds really weird, but what it means is he'll come in and have a relationship with you. He'll be your friend as well as your king and your master. And you've never done that. By the way, we have a baptism on October 1st. If you've never been baptized which is a public declaration of what happened when you're under the water, you go to the tomb, you die with Jesus. When you come out of the water, you're raised with him. But if you've never done that, please come up. I'll pray. It's a prayer of faith. You cannot be good enough to deserve relationship with God or any kind of eternity with him. Impossible. No one's that good. The Bible says not one is, no one's good, not one. Romans 3, 12. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23, 3. But we're saved by grace because Jesus purchased a place for you in heaven by being slaughtered on the cross. The Lamb of God. So let's do that. Otherwise, you can be worshiping, but please stand up if any of those things, if you would like prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray as we, as we finish out this service, we would, we would just be glorifying your name in a great way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.